411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. If you follow the political scene just a little bit, you know that right now state legislators are redrawing their district maps, redistricting. And of course, that's happening here in Wisconsin. But here it's also a challenge just to keep up with all the maneuvering that's involved in it. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. Today, we're going to talk about some of that maneuvering. Some of the things we'll talk about, you've already heard before. You know. Some things you may not know, and some things may even surprise you. Joining me now is Doug Poland. He is the litigation director of Law Forward. Now, this is a nonprofit law firm focused on protecting and advancing democracy. He's also a partner with Stafford Rosenbaum Law Firm. And I want to thank you, Doug, for joining me today to talk about this issue because we're going to talk about partisan gerrymandering, voter suppression, litigation that's taking place right now. So we have a lot to cover. And I said that, um, you know, getting a grasp of all the maneuvering, uh, we were going to talk about a little bit because there is so much. And talking to you earlier, uh, I mean, in just an hour, you're still only scratching the surface. So we're going to try to do a whole lot in 30 minutes. But thank you for joining me. Well, good morning, Beverly. Thanks so much for having me. And I'd be uh, happy to talk about any and all of those topics as long as you want. You are the expert. So I'm glad you're here with me. Let's kind of talk about where we are right now. And I guess we could start with the Wisconsin Supreme Court because they are tasked right now with drawing up those district maps. And just recently, they came out with the fact that they were going to make make minimal changes to the current map. So I'm sure that that is very disappointing for Democrats, right? Well, um, I can't speak for Democrats mm-hmm. um, because the um, my uh, my nonprofit law firm, Law Forward, is a nonpartisan and. Um, we are representing nonpartisan entities um, and voters in in the litigation that's pending both in the state and federal court. Um, I'm sure the Democrats probably are disappointed, um, but we're disappointed too in terms of good government advocates um, because what the Supreme Court essentially ruled um, is that it adopted um, an extreme minority legal position. Um, In other words, and here we're talking about, um, when I talk about minority position, I'm talking about positions among different courts around the United mm-hmm. States. Um, the, this, this least change approach, which r- requires us to submit maps or proposed maps to the state Supreme Court, um, requires us to submit them in a way that, that there are as few changes as possible from the existing districts. Um, as we know, as we proved in federal court in a different lawsuit back in 2016, these districts, when they were adopted by the legislature in 2011, They've been held to be an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. That's what a federal court in Madison held in 2016. That was that judgment was vacated by the U.S. Supreme Court on technical grounds. But importantly, the United States Supreme Court never said that was wrong. They never said that that conclusion that was reached by the federal court was wrong. And so we conclusively proved, and 
quite frankly, it was it was not difficult because we did it from the documents and data and words of the Republican aides who drew the maps in 2011. That was an extreme partisan gerrymandering. And so um, as good government advocates who believe that the voice of the people should be heard and that the voters should choose their politicians and not the other way around, if you are going to make the least number of changes, minimal changes to the districts that were put in place in 2011 and have ensured that a Republican majority has been won in the legislature in 2012, in 2014, in 2016, in 2018, in 2020, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that um, that if you just keep doing what you've been doing in the past, you're not going to have a change. It's not going to be any different. And so it just locks in Republican control of the legislature for another decade. That's bad for any political party. I don't care if it's Democrats or Republicans or some other party. That is not democracy in action. Right. And we can't say that if, uh, you know, things were turned and Democrats were empowered, de- Democrats have the ability to do what the Republicans did, that they wouldn't have done it. But I understand what you're saying. It doesn't matter. The party doesn't matter. It's still right. it, it just it it's not right. OK, so let's go back just to review that every 10 years we have a census and we just had one. Um, and the year after, that's when the legislatures redraw all these maps. And that is what has happened. In 2011, that's when the map was drawn. And as you mentioned, um, it was very partisan because the Republicans were uh, in control of the legislature, the Assembly and the Senate. So their map was very skewed to their advantage. And we've gone through that for 10 years. We've had it for 10 years. And when it happened in 2011, we had a Republican governor as well. So they could really do what, what they wanted to do. Now we have a Democratic governor, which kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. You know, they can do so much, but he has veto power, right? That's exactly right. And he's already exercised that veto power. Um, so to go back to 2011, like you said, you had um, the legislature that adopted um, that adopted the new state legislative and congressional districts. Um, and what Wisconsin law requires is that for a bill that's passed by the legislature to actually become law, it has to be presented to the governor for signature or for veto. That's a presentment clause of our state constitution. And so in 2011, after the Republican-controlled legislature, legislature adopted their state legislative districts, they presented those to Governor Walker at the time. He signed them into law. We challenged those in court. We did get changes to some districts in Milwaukee. Um, we were able to prove a violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And so it's not that the legislature and governor in 2011 were completely unchecked. They were checked by the federal court, which required um, a couple of districts to be redrawn. Conversely, this time around, because the people of Wisconsin elected Governor Evers, a Democrat, over Governor Walker in 2018, you had that veto there. And so the legislature adopted new districts. They um, sent those to Governor Evers. They presented them, and Governor Evers vetoed those. So we have what we call an impasse situation where there is no law, and now it has to go to the courts to decide what the new districts should look like. So there, very, there are more stakeholders than just the legislature, the governor, or that kind of thing. There are other folks who are involved because there have been lawsuits. And you're representing uh, like three organizations in one of those lawsuits. What are they hoping to gain? What, what do they want? 
Sure. Yeah, we've actually got yeah the three organizations that uh, that I and a number of my colleagues and we have a pretty large legal team um, that we're representing um, are Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, which is a Milwaukee-based organization. Voces de la Frontera, uh, which again is a Milwaukee-based organization, and then the League of Women Voters of Wisconsin. We also have um, some individual voters as well who live in specific districts. We have a lawsuit that we filed in the federal court here in Madison, and then we also are proceeding in that case that's that's in front of the uh, Wisconsin State Supreme Court right now. And really, what we're what we're hoping to get our claims are really based on um, in the federal case are based on two different principles. One is that districts have to be equal in population. And because as you mentioned, the new census data have come out now in 2020, and over the course of 10 years, as we know, people move into different legislative districts, they move out of them, people are born, people die. And there was this series of cases from the US Supreme Court in the 1960s that require population equality among the various districts. That's why every 10 years when we have a census, we've got to redraw these districts because we have to rebalance or equalize that population. And so in the federal court, we have a claim that requires that population be equalized, but we also have a claim under section two of the Voting Rights Act. Um, And uh, unlike in 2011, when our Voting Rights Act claim really revolved around um, the Hispanic districts in Milwaukee, and I'll just use the term Hispanic because that's the term that the Census Bureau uses. Um, this time around, in uh, in twenty after the 2020 census, our allegation in our complaint is that to satisfy Section Two of the Voting Rights Act, an additional opportunity district for African American voters in the Milwaukee area needs to be created. We've had six for the past decade, and going back a little further, um, but because of population changes, a seventh district can now be drawn. And so we are um, demanding that a seventh district be drawn. How how do you calculate that? Because it's it's not like the black population grew, but what it shifted, the dynamic of, of the area shift, shifted. Yeah, essentially, the the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965 because um, the the efforts that were made um, successfully to dilute the um, the voting power, um, especially of African American voters. Um, and so Congress passed the Voting Rights Act, and it was renewed again in 1982. And essentially, what Section Two does is it says that when you're looking at drawing districts, if there's an um, if you can draw a district, so it provides an opportunity. For um, for minority voters and typically it's um, it's Hispanic voters and African American voters to elect a candidate of their choice, then you need to draw a district um, in that way. There is um, it, it gets quite complicated, and so we have really good experts who are doing this. Um, there uh, there is a well established test in the Supreme Court um, uh, jurisprudence that that talks about these things that have to be established. But basically, you need to show from the from the get go from the very start that you can draw districts that have a majority of black voting age population. And so that's over 50%. It uh, doesn't mean ultimately the districts that are, are made to comply with section two have to be over 50% of black voting age population, but that's what you need to be able to show at least at the outset. And then there are a number of factors that are considered um, like whether there's something we call racially polarized voting that's occurring. And that means where you've got um, uh, basically a white block that can come together to defeat the choice of the um, of the minority community for who they want to elect, and there are a number of factors that that go into that, and there are some statistical analyses as well. So it's it's a pretty complex um, right. uh, legal issue. So when you um you you have your case and your argument centers around the Voting Rights Act, so 
uh, I know the Supreme Court said, okay, all the, the stakeholders, you guys submit your proposed maps and you guys will be doing that or ha you have done it. Since you're looking at it from the perspective of the Voting Rights Act, if the Supreme Court does not select your map, would you appeal to the federal court? Yeah, so the, um, let me answer the question in this way. So there, there are actually two pieces of litigation that are going on right now. Okay. We do have that claim in the federal court that we filed back in August. And so that's there as well. Um, but then there was separately another, um, what we call an original action that was filed with the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And the Wisconsin State Supreme Court um, in September decided it was going to hear this case and decide what the map should look like. And because of a number of different legal doctrines, the, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court gets the first bite of the apple. So the, the State Supreme Court issued an opinion on November 30th, so just, um, what, 11, 12 days ago, that identified the criteria that, um, that maps have to be drawn to. Okay. So we've got these, they first said that there are a number of legal requirements that, um, that all maps must comply with and that they will have to evaluate. Those include, that includes the Voting Rights Act. It includes a number of constitutional provisions under the Wisconsin Constitution and the federal Constitution, and it includes the Voting Rights Act. So those are these legal requirements. They're just non-negotiable. Um, you've, you've got to be able to meet those and satisfy those. And then there was a concurring opinion written by Justice Hagedorn that said, there are some other things that can be considered too, like communities of interest. So um, we actually haven't submitted any proposed maps yet. All of the parties in the state Supreme Court case will be submitting proposed um, legislative and congressional district maps to the Wisconsin Supreme Court this week on Wednesday, so Wednesday, December 15th, um, and then expert reports in support of those as well. So um, among the criteria that have to be satisfied is compliance with the Voting Rights Act. So we certainly are focusing on that in a very strong way, but that's not the only criterion mm -hmm. that we have to you know, that we have to look at and make sure that, that our map satisfies. Gotcha. You know, people listening to this and going gerrymandering, redistricting, eyes glazed over, oh, I'm back in civics class or whatever. But so we're going to take a break. And when we go, when we come back, we're going to talk about the impact this all has on us, why we should be uh, concerned about the outcome of all of this, the what effect it will have on us, Joe Blow the voter. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. See us dream. See us remember. See us protest. You matter. Your feelings matter. Your identity matters. Everything about who you are matters. See us fight back. See us rebuild. See us shatter stereotypes. See us inspire. See us united. See us now. Have you ever seen somebody treated unfairly because of the color of their skin? Do you guys know what it means to have white privilege? What is racism and what do you think about it? Talk to young children about what racism is, giving them the language to understand it. They can be disruptors. They can shape and shift culture. We may not always know the answer, but we'll try and help you learn. You don't have to have all the answers, but that doesn't mean we can't start. Welcome back to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I am talking with Doug Poland. He's the litigation director of Law Forward. Um, 
We've been talking about gerrymandering. We've been talking about redistricting and litigation that's going on. When we talk about extreme gerrymandering um, and, and the maps, what, let's talk about the impact. Because I'm thinking when you've got extreme gerrymandered maps, the lawmakers are choosing their voters instead of the voters choosing the lawmakers. Um, do you see it that way? Well, that's exactly what's happening. And that's, that's the right way to describe it. Um, you no longer have a situation where you have competitive races where candidates for political office have to actually compete um, based on policy ideas um, and pitch the voters on why the voters should vote for them. Instead, they simply draw districts so they'll come out in their favor, and then they can put into place whatever policies they want that are um, demanded by the people who are funding their campaigns. There's no accountability to the voters whatsoever. So the things that the voters might want them to do, they don't have to address if they don't want to. Well, that's exactly right, Beverly. And we've seen that over the past decade in Wisconsin. There is polling that's done by really a a, a tremendous um, pollster, Charles Franklin, who um, has quarterly polls um, uh, from Marquette Law School. And this is is really a gold standard poll. And um, Charles Franklin's polls consistently show that there, and this is over a number of years, that there are specific kinds of legislation that voters in Wisconsin, and this is across the partisan divide Mm -hmm. that they want to see. And we're talking about, um, we're talking about polling that's in the, in the 70 or 80% range where voters across Wisconsin say they want Medicaid expansion. But, um, not only is that not, um, is that not enacted in Wisconsin, but it's not even allowed to go to the floor for debate. And that's because you have one political party that controls what does and doesn't come before the entire legislature. And so we've got that for common sense um, laws to control um, and reduce gun violence. Um, We have that for nonpartisan redistricting commissions. There's just a number of different policies that the people of Wisconsin are desperate to have the legislature take up and put into law, and they don't even see a minute of debate or discussion on the floor of the legislature because of partisan gerrymandering. So would you put extreme partisan gerrymandering in the hat with voter suppression? Well, that's exactly what it accomplishes, because when you've got a majority that um, that is is seeking to retain its majority, um, what they are going to do and what we've seen in Wisconsin and Wisconsin was among the test beds, essentially, for uh, many of these voter suppression tactics, things like voter I.D., um, changing um, the timing of, of elections, um, primaries, uh, changing the way that um, uh, the way that uh, absentee ballots are returned. We're looking at measures now um, that have been introduced in the legislature. Fortunately, they can be vetoed for now, but that could change in 2022 when we have um, uh, you know different vote for for um, uh, for governor. Um, we we could have um, you know a number of different kinds of restrictive measures that would really severely suppress the rights of people to vote and the ability of people to vote from a practical standpoint. Have you already had to uh, go to court about some of these voter suppression efforts? Oh, absolutely. Um, Voter ID has been litigated um, since 2014 or 15. I was not a part of that litigation, but, uh, but it's been litigated. 
we had a lot of litigation in 2020 around the election, mm-hmm. the spring election. Um, there were five total uh, lawsuits that were filed in federal court. I was involved in three of those. We were able to, um, if, if you recall, you sort of um, rewind the clock. And if you remember the pandemic, it just hit in the middle of March. Right. And, um, and as it was spreading, we were coming up on an election um, on April 7th of 2020. Um, and especially in a city like Milwaukee, um, given the spread of the pandemic and the concerns people had about public health, we watched that consolidation of polling places. So we had 160 polling places you typically have in Milwaukee consolidated down to five, to just five. And people had to wait in line for hours. They were afraid, justifiably, to go be in these large public places to vote. And so we sought a variety of different forms of relief from the courts to allow people to exercise their right to vote. What didn't happen then? The legislature didn't lift a finger to do anything to help to make it easier for Wisconsinites to vote safely and conveniently during the height of a pandemic that we haven't seen in 100 years. Instead, they went to court to sue the governor to try to um, uh, to try to end things like the safer at home rule. So, um, you know, these are the kinds of, uh, of things that are used to try to influence and, and stop people from being able to exercise their right to vote. And those things affected their constituents as well, right? Well, the, the, here's the really interesting thing about it in that 2020 election in particular. We know that historically, um, voters in Milwaukee, particularly voters of color, and especially African-American voters, tend to use same-day registration to vote. Um, in other words, they tend to vote in person much more than by absentee ballot. Um, and that's, that was the situation going up uh, you know, into that election. What have we seen in the meantime, in the wake of this election, where the outcome wasn't one that, um, at least in the November 2020 election, um, you know, that the Republicans wanted to see? Joe Biden ended up winning. What did we hear about in the wake of that those elections? We've now heard, we've heard about, and now we've seen all these efforts to constrain um, mail-in absentee voting. Well, historically speaking, many more white voters than voters of color used mail-in absentee um, uh, voting. Uh, to to actually cast their ballots. Um, So what we see is sort of a -a whack-a-mole kind of a game where we get these elections that go against the people who are in charge of the legislature right now, the political party. Um, And uh, and, and when that happens, they they whack that that mole to try to change the, the game. We saw that with the way that they got rid of the Government Accountability Board when they thought that the Government Accountability Board wasn't allowing them to do what they wanted to do. Instead, the Republican legislature and Governor Walker put into place a specific Wisconsin Elections Commission that we have now. Well, now that the Wisconsin Collection, uh, Elections Commission isn't doing their bidding, they're trying to end that too. Um, so this is it's just a, a continuing problem across the board with these tactics that are being used to try to entrench a specific political party in power. It's wrong. It's wrong whether it happens with Republicans in Wisconsin or Democrats in Illinois or wherever it may be. Right. And we've got a, an election, a gubernatorial election coming. It's it's on the horizon. So it it seems like it, it is even more important that people vote in that election. It, it's I can't emphasize strongly enough how critical it is that people exercise their right to vote. Literally every vote does matter. We have elections in the state that are decided, huge elections that are decided by 5,000, 6,000, mm-hmm. 10,000 votes. And I know that it's difficult, especially um, in, in the, at hopefully at the tail end of a lingering pandemic. Um, a lot of people are, are tired. 
they're despondent. They, um, uh, you know, they've got other very pressing concerns. And I think that um, a lot of people will look at the political landscape and say, Democrat, Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter who's in control. Um, it's just the system is a bad system. Um, and so they don't go vote because they don't think their vote matters. I have to tell everybody and, and ask them to vote because every single vote matters. If you go and if you vote, if you exercise your power to vote, um, you're doing two things. One, you're showing the people who would suppress your vote that you're not going to be you're not gonna be intimidated by this. You are going to go and you're going to exercise the constitutional rights you have and they are not going to stop you. That's a very important message to send. But number two, it's only when you aggregate all of those votes that you can actually take and reclaim political power. And so you've got to exercise that right to vote if you wanna reclaim that political power. That's true. Because more than likely, the legislature in Wisconsin will stay majority Republican. Um, but the governor's seat, that is a toss up. And if you have another Republican as governor, then that party, one party has really total control. Um, all of this is, you know, it's just like mind blowing. There's so many different avenues to this and a lot that we haven't even talked about and a lot of, a lot of work that you're doing. Why are you in this? <laughs> you know, I I wish I could give you a logical or a sort of rational explanation. Um, I'm incredibly strongly motivated by this, um, I guess, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, one, I, I grew up in the Milwaukee area. I grew up in, in, in Whitefish Bay, um, you know, largely, uh, you know, very uh, privileged community. Um, and I never had to worry about any of these things when I was growing up. And um, as I have, uh, especially once I've come back to Wisconsin and, and what I've seen in other places that I've lived, like Philadelphia and Chicago, um, I've seen what happens when um, when people are denied the opportunity to really exercise um, their their right to vote and their political power. Um, and coming back to Wisconsin puts that uh, all in in better focus and makes it all the more clear. Um, and as I've kind of I've been practicing law for almost three decades now. Um, and I'm at a point in my career where um, I'm looking to really do something more on a larger level. Um, it's not just about litigating over real estate or whatever it might be that we fight about in the courts, um, but really looking at ways of, of making meaningful change and impactful change um, and, and acting as an ally to assist people to be able to claim that, that political power that, um, that they really want and, and to which they're really entitled to have their voices heard. Um, and so at the end, I mean, I've been incredibly privileged to be a lawyer um, and to be in the position that I'm in. Um, and I really need to use that training and that education and the position I have um, to help other people to, um, you know, to be able to exercise the rights that they have under the U.S. Constitution. That's wonderful. You're living at your purpose. We really appreciate that. Doug Poland, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving us this time. It's been really interesting and enlightening. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you also for doing this series of podcasts. It's, it's very important for the people of Wisconsin to listen to. Very good. Doug Poland, Litigation Director of Law Forward. That's a nonprofit law firm focused on protecting and advancing democracy in Wisconsin. He's also a partner with Stafford Rosenbaum Law Firm. Thank you again. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. 
uh, we are a nonprofit organization. If you feel fit, feel the the um, calling, we invite you to contribute to us. Just go to our website, the411live.org. Um, it's a pleasure. We feel like we're serving you, bringing you important people in, in important topics like this. And Doug is uh, an example of one of those important people. So until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like and watch us on Facebook, watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org. Thank you.